Welcome to the KPMG Tax Now podcast. In this podcast, we explore some of the more complex matters across tax, economics, regulation, and compliance. Each month, we meet with KPMG's foremost experts and other special guests to unpack key issues faced by taxpayers around the globe. My name is Georgia Kingseam and I'm a partner in KPMG's Accelerating Business Growth Group and I'll be your host for today's podcast. Today, we will be talking about why startups are so important to Australia's current and future economy and some practical tips on how to start and fund one. With me today is Alex Demetrio. Alex is the partner in charge of the Accelerating Business Growth Group and has a long and illustrious history at KPMG. He provides assistance to large organisations, executives, startups, entrepreneurs, on how to fund their innovation and growth plans. So look, I should note that this is the first of two podcasts that we're doing with Alex. Today's topic is really focused on the early stage startup phase uh, and both, and within that we're split it a little bit into why are startups so important to the Australian economy? And then the second part is around practical tips around starting and funding a startup. So hopefully you'll find this interesting both from a broader economic policy point of view and also from a direct experience if you're a founder or working with a startup or you'd like to. So let's go on to the first topic of today, Alex, if you're happy to, which is why are startups so important to the economy? Thanks, Georgia. Um, And that's a a really, really good question. It's probably a question that gets asked quite a bit by by many. Uh, and, And I'll start with probably job creation being probably one of the key reasons why startups are so important to the economy. If you look at the traditional jobs of the past um, and and the way that that jobs are are manifesting themselves at the moment with disruption um, like automation, machine learning, AI, uh, one's fair to say that that certain tasks are are being made redundant and and as a result of that, jobs are, are changing in the, the way that they are, are being made available. I think I, I read an article more recently that, that stated that jobs that are currently paying you know, less than $25 an hour will be replaced by automation and AI. So if you sit back and, and have a bit of a think about what that actually means, you know, and I was thinking about that yesterday, it's uh, think about what autonomous vehicles does to taxi drivers, think about what it does to, to Uber drivers, bus drivers, truck drivers, train drivers, and the like. Um, if AI and machine learning takes on some of those those jobs, then, then we need to, to generate new jobs that will enable uh, those individuals to, to move forward with. If you think about what um, AI and machine learning could do to the financial services sector, uh, be it insurance, banking and finance, et cetera, and most of these tasks will be performed by by technology, and and again, you know, we need to generate the next generation of jobs, and that's why startups are super important, creating creating new jobs. Alex, I'm tempted to play devil's advocate here and just point out that you know if you are an Uber driver or a train driver or similar, it's great that there are new jobs of the future coming through, but are those going to be your jobs? So what does it what does that mean in terms of the transitioning a workforce from one uh, I suppose, style of, of job to another. Yeah, and what we will see, Georgia, is that the, the types of jobs that will be on offer will be different, right? Um, and, and back to my point before about the world changing, you know, we can either help startups 
create new jobs here in Australia, or we could wait for startups in other countries to take not the, not just our jobs here in Australia, but also our consumer dollars. So, um, you know, younger businesses, it, it is it is fact that younger businesses create more jobs uh, and different jobs. It's fair to say also that there will always be a need to have a human in the loop. Uh, the jobs that will be uh, made available will be those that, that have um, the, the requirement to have a relationship with your consumer. Those that are sort of management style jobs, um, executive type jobs that will require uh, a certain level of discretion in making decisions. So uh, I guess uh, I'm not sure if that answers your question directly, but um, there will be different jobs um, and startups will be creating as a ratio of revenue, a uh, larger number of jobs than, than perhaps the larger businesses that are existing at the moment. Yeah, look, I think it does a bit. I mean, certainly innovation is coming one way or another. And if it's if we're not doing it, someone else will be. So I guess on that theme, where do you see the innovation running for startups? Startups will uh, are definitely a lot more um, active in being able to to pivot uh, their, their business models. Um, they are generating different business models all the time. If you if you look at the likes of eBay and crowdfunding platforms, you know, they, they've got that sort of marketplace model. If you look at the, the sharing economy uh, business model, when we think of sharing economy, we think of Airbnb. We think of other business models like uh, uh, what I call freemium models, where that typically happens in the gaming sector where where they, they offer a, a pretty attractive gaming solution or gaming platform and and then upsell off the back of that and then obviously you've got your your, your subscription based models which most people are pretty familiar with if you think about those different business models those business models didn't exist in the past and so what startups have been able to do is really um, revolutionize how businesses start to think about the traditional business what we've seen is that um, startups are taught to be successful on a global stage from from day dot. Um, they get user adoption, they grow really, really quickly in scale. And you need to be able to build a product or service that is you know, 10 times, if not more, better than, than what's already available now. So with that, uh, it gives the, the larger organizations the ability to look at these startups, learn from them, maybe even acquire them and integrate them into their businesses to enable them to innovate as well, become more nimble and respond to, to market, market shifts. Interesting. Look, there's two things I want to pick up on here. One is really around, I suppose, how startups want to engage with the existing market. And I think we'll deal with that in the second part of this podcast. But the, the first one I have is, is really around, you know, from a, what is the impact to the economy, as you sort of outlined, innovation is coming whether we like it or not there are going to be changes and if australia is at the forefront of that we stand to pick up the dollars associated with it and i'm thinking about a lot of my clients for instance where they start their startups founded in australia but their market is often almost from the get-go an overseas one and that's revenue coming back into australia so from a broader economic approach that's, I suppose, where we need to focus our attention, and that's why it becomes important that we provide enough support for startups in this country. Would that be a fair summary? Absolutely. Um, we will see those tax dollars flow through, or well, the revenue stream flow through to Australian head offices. 
um, which you know, obviously results in additional tax revenue for, for the government um, and, and obviously spillover benefits associated with that. Those brands will also generate uh, job creation. Uh, it'll enable uh, individuals to to go overseas and learn new things and bring those 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 skills back to back to Australia as well. If you think about the what we've seen with the space innovation and space sector and the number of individuals and um, engineering and tech jobs coming back to Australia purely by just having a, a national space agency located in Australia and really the government uh, providing some stimulus around that particular sector. Uh, what it's done is it, it's meant that individuals no longer have to go overseas to, to, to chase those jobs. They can now do those jobs in Australia, generate revenue, learn new things um, and, uh, and really you know, drive, drive that economy forward. I will, I will admit, I mean, having such a large continent, we are in a prime position to have a space industry, given our, totally. our ability to launch. And, uh, and even, even if you look at a lot of the, um, the, the, the arrays in terms of uh, watching space, etc. So we, we are in a good position that way, uh, which kind of leads me into my next question for you. And we sort of had talked about this before this podcast was around, what does this mean for regional growth? Well, startups, uh, I guess, um, lend themselves to to growth in the regions as well. And really, all you need is a laptop to be able to start up a an organisation. And what's great about startups is that it, it doesn't matter what town you're established in. Um, what's particularly important is the skill set that you have, or, or the niche product, or the problem that you're looking to solve is the most important thing. The next generation of global companies can be founded anywhere. Establishing a regional uh, startup ecosystem and providing the fast internet infrastructure will, will help regional Australia's economic development as well and prosperity. You've pretty much hit what I was going to say there, which is that's great if you're a software-based startup uh, and you've got, you know, a good internet. But, you know, that's, that's not necessarily the case everywhere, although it is getting better. Well, what about startups producing, you know, tangible goods? Uh, Australia is a large country. We don't have the high density and the rail networks that you see, you know, in, in Japan or other countries. And that's where government plays a vital role, Georgia, uh, in ensuring that they do have the right infrastructure to connect the regions. Um, and what we have seen is that government has recently announced a $110 billion investment over 10 years in land transport infrastructure. And this is part of the government's broader strategy to, to better connect our regions and meet our national freight challenges and, and build a stronger, resilient Australia. Increasing now, people are seeking out the regions as a safer place to work as a result of that pandemic. So look, uh, I think uh, technology, yes, um, does lend itself to allowing you to work anywhere, but, but equally, as the infrastructure continues to improve and develop, and it looks like the money's there to, to, to put towards that investment, we will start to see more businesses feel comfortable establishing themselves in the region. I think we're seeing the evidence of that already. Look at, look at uh, property pricing and how that's shooting up outside of the, the main metropolitan areas as people realise, particularly through this pandemic, that you don't need to be sitting in a CBD office five days a week. Yeah, totally. I mean, you look to the greater Western Sydney region, uh, the Hunter Valley region, the number of businesses that have spawned out, out there, the infrastructure that's been created out. 
in, in the greater Western Sydney. And I was there not that long ago, uh, just before Christmas, in fact, and, and had noticed that the amount of you know, high-rise buildings being being constructed in in that area, it, it was it was it blew me away. So that's not as regional as perhaps what we're talking, but it will you know we will see that that spread out to the broader regions. So look, I think it paints a pretty clear picture here in terms of what benefits uh, startups can provide at an economic level, particularly for Australia's future. Really, what I wouldn't mind turning to now, because I'm mindful of time, is what does that mean if you're actually thinking about starting a startup or you're a founder, you're looking to do a seed raise or a series A, how do you fund it? How do you get started? Yeah, it's a good question. And most people have probably heard a little bit about the, the three Fs, uh, um, looking to leverage funding from for a startup from friends, families, and dare I say it, fools. Um, <laughs> this will get them to a point. Yeah, I mean, this will get them to a point of developing broad concepts testing the market and coming up with a, a prototype potentially. Uh, they may even get it to a point of being able to actually test the product with one or two customers. I mean, if you can get your customer to fund the early stage development, then, then that's, uh, you know, that's the holy grail. But uh, the proximity to commercialization and the cost to achieve this is where most startups fail. So the cost to get to a full scale product that the private sector will invest in or that generates a revenue stream that de-risks private investment is what is often called the value of death. And, and this is where most of the businesses really fail. So uh, I guess to answer your question, you know, if you've, if you've leveraged the three S, you know, where else can you, can you seek funding? And, and uh, you know, what I often talk to my clients about is to, to chase the non-dilutive funding as much as you possibly can first up, uh, because clearly you don't want to give away too much of your company if you don't need to do so. And so, um, you know, grants and tax offsets and incentives and government programs are often a really good uh, hunting ground for for funding to, to get your product process service uh, off the ground. That, that's good from a, a principal, but what are, what are some practical things that they could look at? I mean, what, what sort of programs are there? Because it feels a lot of the time like there's, a, there's so many grant programs out there how do you know where to look? How do you know what you should be spending your time on? Because particularly as a founder, you're spread so thin looking at so many things. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very good point. Um, there are uh, over 500 grant programs online at any one particular point in time. So understanding and what, what's relevant to you is really important. I guess through the really early stage organisations that are just getting started, I often say to them, you know, enter as many competitions that have dollars or prize money attached to them. And obviously, you need to be smart about you know, what you put your effort into, but that's probably not a bad bad start. Um, there are other sort of business growth grants that are available that have sort of smaller check sizes, which you know aren't too onerous as far as application processes are concerned. And one of those is the Entrepreneurs Program, the, the business growth grants. Um, and they can give you, you know, twenty thousand uh, dollars to to drive forward with one element of your project. Equally, the uh, accelerating commercialization program is a really good program, uh, and that really helps companies ex um, commercialize their technology or or a project with with global potential. There is turnover thresholds with some of these, and and most of them require match funding. So you put in a dollar, and and government will put in a dollar. And then there's those those programs that enable you to to work with researchers or 
experts in the field like universities or CSIRO. Um, there's a program called Innovation Connections and, and that, that'll give you $50,000 towards a project that'll enable you to work with a researcher to, to solve a particular problem. So that's just a few. How, how competitive are these though? I mean, take the Innovation Connections, right? The idea of saying, okay, I can go and I can get someone to help me and I can get 50K worth of help. How likely are people to get it? Does it come down to, I suppose, what would, I would term, you know, merit criteria? Uh, you know, what's what's the budget the government has to work with here? Because I can't imagine everyone's going to get it. Yeah, well, uh, some of these programs are highly competitive, and some of those pro some of these programs are almost almost entitlement based. Now, if you look to the R and D tax incentive, for example, you know, you meet the minimum eligibility criteria. Um, there is some paperwork involved, uh, and you need to make sure that you you lodge the documentation. You keep uh, good contemporaneous documentation. Uh, probably likely you'll need some sort of help from an advisor to do it. But that said, it's it's an entitlement program. It's much like your your tax return. You, you fill it out. If you meet the criteria, you get it. Um, where there is others, like probably the accelerating commercialization program, which are a lot more competitive, and and that's where you know you need to look at you know, what are the merit criteria. How are you addressing the merit criteria in a way that's going to differentiate your application? From other applicants and and ensuring that you know that the financial model that you've sort of got attached to that particular project shows a really good return on investment from government to to basically fund it. So um, it is horses for courses. Different programs will require different things, but uh, but that's where it's really important to be smart and and map out those programs that you probably got the best chance of succeeding in and knocking on on, on those uh, programs first and then uh, uh, following that once you've got um, some wins under your belt start to, to tackle those ones that are a little bit more competitive and they'll likely have a, a larger check attached to them that's really useful look as you know somebody who deals with startups all the time I know that this is a conversation both you and I have uh, with founders around where do you get your funding? You've exhausted, you're right, the three Fs. That's often often talked about. And it's, you know, there, there is funding available at the federal level, the state level. Even councils often have programs. And it's making sure that, you you know, as, as a founder, that you're aware of what is available to you and what is going to give you the best bang for buck and is the most accessible to you. And that in that sense, what you have the greatest uh, probability of getting the, the money. Uh, and of course, it's non-dilutive, as you say. Correct, correct. And the key to, to success with many of these programs, uh, Georgia, is, is having a well-articulated business case, right? So you know, most of the time, if you've got a really well-articulated articulated business case, the content from that business case can be leveraged multiple times to address um, the, the programs that you're looking to leverage funding from. So that's often a really good start for for founders I find is to invest the time to to get that those thoughts and and that narrative down on paper and then leverage it multiple times. Yeah, a, a good pitch deck uh, and a a good prototype are, are worth their weight in gold. And there are key themes, right? You know, federal government and and, and state governments are looking for thing well, anything that that generates jobs, you know, job creation. Anything that facilitates collaboration between, um, you know, universities and industry, and anything that, that that generates jobs, and if it's regional jobs, even better. 
Thank you all for listening. That's all we have time for today. So my thanks to, to Alex Dimitro for his time. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please send an email to kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au or you can find us on the KPMG website. Just look for Accelerating Business Growth. My name is Georgia King-Seam and it's been my pleasure to be your host for today. Thanks for listening to another episode of the KPMG Tax Now podcast. If you'd like to ask us a question, please send us an email at kpmgtaxnow at kpmg.com.au. Be sure to subscribe at kpmg.com forward slash au forward slash tax now or follow our LinkedIn page, KPMG Tax Now Insights. That's all for now. We look forward to sharing more insights with you soon.